morning. Thank you for calling Kaiju Island, a show where a kaiju veteran and a kaiju newbie watch giant monster movies and chat about them. I'm Andrew. <laughs> I'm Amanda. Thank you for showing us your customer service voice. <laughs> I am now working at a call center, so I'm practicing. Yeah, you're used to talking to microphones now. I don't know about microphones into phones. Phones have microphones. <laughs> microphones and speakers. Are microphones called microphones because they're small phones? Phone has, means sound, I think. So if microphone is small sounds, I don't know is the answer. <laughs> Amanda. Yes. Today, what? today we are watching a movie that brings together some of the movies we have seen in the past. It's a whole Avengers get together of previous movies we've seen. Which Avengers movie is this? This is the first one. For sure. Okay, that's the best Avengers movie in my opinion. We've got Godzilla. We've got Rodan. We've got Mothra. And they're all teaming up to fight Ghidra. The three-headed monster. 1964. That's not his name. <laughs> so, who is Godzilla? Oh, in the Avengers? Mm-hmm. Good question. He's a... I feel like Rodan's Iron Man. I think Godzilla is Thor because Mothra uh -huh. is Captain America who comes in like, come on, guys, can't we all just get along? No, I agree. Or maybe um, Dr. Dr. Hulk. Dr. Hulk? Dr. Banners? Bruce Banner. Banner? Yeah. I got there eventually. No, I like I like Godzilla as Thor. Yeah, I think that works very well, actually. So which one is Mothra? Because I could see her as like a Captain America or as a Bruce Banner. I mean, Mothra doesn't definitely never hulks out in any of the movies that she's in. She kind of hulks out in Mothra. Eh, I guess. But in comparison to other monsters? She even has a transformation every movie. I suppose. Except this one. Why did we have a Mothra, a movie with Mothra in it that we never see, like, true Mothra? We're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so we watched Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of those movies that's, I think, widely considered to be one of the best Showa films. It's not the best. It's not, like... It's obviously not the first Godzilla movie, and I think most people would put it maybe third or fourth on the list, but it's still, like, high up there as far as... It always makes the top five. It, all, it pretty much always makes the top five, yeah. Does this make you your top five? No. But... <laughs> well, top five Showa films, yes. But top five overall, no. There's a lot of competition. Godzilla... I'm not going to try and figure it out off the top of my head right now. Rodan. I'm not going to do it. GMK. It's not going to happen. Shin. The order is probably very No, wrong. not the not the order. Okay. And then what's the one you grew up on? Godzilla 1984? Uh, the one I watched a lot as a kid was Terror of Mechagodzilla. Oh. But the first one I saw was Godzilla 1985. I was very close. You were. Again, we're off track. <laughs> <laughs> so... Ghidra. Yes. What do you think about Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster? Are you doing this at the beginning? Just your early opinions. Oh, okay. I like Ghidra 
I like his design, their design. Don't know what pronouns to use. <laughs> I miss Kevin. I think Kevin was the best part of Ghidra. It's King Ghidorah, so it's probably a he. No, he or they. Sure. It's one creature. But they cast three actors for it in the Yeah, but that's movie. in the future. Okay. He. Mm-hmm. I miss Kevin. Sure. Yeah. Kevin's not for a while. But otherwise, it was pretty good. I, I like the characterization of all of the monsters. I think there was very strong personalities, which is something you want in a kaiju movie. Yeah, definitely. If our talking about this movie, I mean, we've already gone off the rails like seven times, but uh, <laughs> if our talking about this movie is a little weird, we did watch this movie over three nights, and all of those nights were a week ago. So... <laughs> um. And it's not any fault of the movie. Again, I very much like this movie. It's just we kept having things come up and we had to stop. My attention span is very short. I wasn't going to call you out. <laughs> Thanks. I, ga- I, I gave you an out. You didn't have to say anything. <laughs> I liked the movie. It's not the movie's fault that my attention span is short. Yes. So a couple things I wanted to say right off the top. We watched the dub version of the Criterion Collection Blu-ray set of all the Showa films that Amanda got me for our anniversary. You're welcome. That's It says that on the box. No, it doesn't. That Amanda got me for my anniversary? Yeah. It's part of the title? Yes. So we watched the dub. No, we didn't watch the dub. We watched the subs version of it. See, this is what I mean. Everything's wrong. It's a good sign. We watched the original Japanese version of this film. However, there is an American version. And I wanted to just mention just very briefly that the American version is mostly the same. I'll talk about some differences as we get to them. But it is seven minutes shorter and a lot of scenes are like moved around to try and make them make more sense. And I don't think this movie was particularly confusing as it was. But I was trying to think of what order they'd move things in. Maybe I know there's a lot of back and forth, which is kind of frustrating for note taking purposes. I wonder if they cut it up and rearranged it. So all of the Ghidra stuff happens together. Sure. And all of the the prophet princess stuff happens together because it was back and forth during the fight scene. I do not remember those specifics if those were changed, but so maybe the key one that I wanted to mention off the top here is this movie is scored by Akira Fukube. Unless you're watching the American version in which they just removed all of Akira Fukube's music and replaced it with just random sci-fi movie soundtracks from American movies. Why would you take away an amazing soundtrack and replace it with techno garbage? Well, it wasn't techno, but yes. Techno garbage. (laughs) Techno didn't exist yet. All sci-fi is techno garbage. Okay. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to point out is that we have everyone here in this movie. This movie was produced by Tomoyuki Tanaka. This movie was directed by Ishiro Honda. This movie was written by Shinichi Sekizawa. If you want to know more about him, listen to our Mothra episode. I'm a big fan. The music was by Akira Fukube, and the special effects were by Eiji Tsuburaya. Oh, and Godzilla is played by... Haruo Nakajima. I recognize all of those names. Yeah, as you should. <laughs> I just wanted to point out that 
this is kind of the movie I mentioned in the Mothra episode that Shinichi Sekizawa is often quote unquote blamed for lightening up Godzilla and making him more family friendly instead of being cool and mean and the uh, you know nuclear I don't know metaphor or whatever. Uh, this is the movie people point to as being the lightening up of Godzilla because this is the first time we see Godzilla as a hero. He doesn't start the movie as a hero, but he does end the movie as a hero. And that's an important turn for the character. He starts the movie as a frat bro. Does he? Kind of. Okay. He gets into a pissing contest. We'll get there. Yeah, that's all I wanted to say up front. Tell us about Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. So, close your eyes. Don't do that if you're driving. <laughs> Picture a kaiju fight scene. Is that how the movie starts? Yeah, it just flashes of a random fight scene. And you're like, spoilers. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, we won't talk about any of the monsters in this scene, because that would require us to t- talk about literally all of them at once. And I don't even know why they did that. It, I think it's, it's just a way to do the credits. Yeah, I think it's just a Japanese thing. It's in a few Godzilla movies that happens. So the movie starts with Naoko Shindo who is a reporter. She's following this group of scientists who are listening for transmissions from aliens and they don't hear what they wanted to hear. And one of them says to her, they can sense your brain waves. Like it's all her fault that they're not communicating. Yeah. Maybe if they'd all worn their tinfoil hats, the aliens wouldn't be able to hear her brain waves. Come on. But they do talk about there's a heat wave in January on Earth and beyond the galaxy. How do they know that? I don't know. I can't... I don't know. Okay. <laughs> and they say that something horrible is going to happen. So the reason they're here is because they think that a UFO will tell them what the horrible thing is. Right. And then we see this meteor shower start. Mm-hmm. Naoko Shindo, the reporter that's in this scene, is played by Yuriko Hoshi. We have heard Yuriko Hoshi's name before. She was a pretty common actress at Toho. She was in a lot of stuff. She was in Godzilla vs. Mothra, which we haven't seen in the podcast, but I have shown you, Amanda, in our personal life before. Before the podcast was even a twinkle in our eyes, we watched... I don't like that metaphor. (laughs) We watched Godzilla vs. Mothra. But we did talk about her on this podcast also. She was the professor lady in Godzilla vs. Megaguirus. The older lady who, like, built the oh, yeah. black hole gun. So we have seen her kind of at her the prime of her career in this movie. And we've seen her significantly later uh, in her career and still doing great. Are you saying that somebody in their... 50s she or did, 60s can't be in the prime of their career. She did most of her work when she was the age that she was in this movie. Fine. It was literally the prime of her work. <laughs> so cut to, we see a detective Shindo, notice the similarity in last names, mm. is talking to a reporter at the police station. Yeah. The reporter had come to ask him some questions. They're mentioning a lot of weird things that have been happening. There's sirens going on outside, so they talk about there's an encephalitis outbreak in winter, which is apparently in, um, a Japanese encephalitis outbreak is usually pretty seasonal and happens in the summer and fall. That part I looked up on my own because I can do research too. <laughs> What's encephalitis? Swelling of the brain tissue. Why would why would that? I don't understand. I don't understand the heat wave or the encephalitis in this movie. 
just weird things going on. Yeah, I think there's all these anomalies happening. Happening, And I mean, even Ghidra coming to Earth is an anomaly in itself. Yeah, but I'm wondering if he's causing that or if it's just a lot of weird stuff that are all disconnected. I don't know. That part's weird. I don't think they're disconnected, but I don't know if there's a cause and effect or if they're all kind of happening, like they're signaling that he's coming or what. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a like a Lovecraftian thing that Ghidra approaching causes brains to explode yeah (laughs) they're also talking about how there's meteor showers happening all over the world and you look out the window and they're just constantly falling Mm -hmm. which is kind of what you'd expect from meteor shower except for they're going in different directions which is weird i don't know if they purposely did that or if the person who wrote it just didn't know how meteor showers worked well and even in a meteor shower they don't tend to go quite that quickly that's like you don't see them that often detective shindo is played by Yosuke Natsuki. He is a pretty pretty common actor in Toho. He debuted in a movie called The H-Man. Uh, we will probably not be watching The H-Man. It's not a kaiju movie at all, but it is a very good like special effects movie. The H-Man, he like the H-Man is made of gas. So he, he's Hydrogen Man. Yeah. Uh, and he also was in Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo, which is another movie that we've seen outside of this podcast. Who was he in Yojimbo? He was one of the characters' sons. I don't know. It wasn't a huge role, I don't think. Was he, like, the boss's son? I think he was one of the boss's sons. So that was one of the main characters. Yeah. I just don't remember specifically who he was. So Movies that he is in that are on our list. Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. Thank you. Dogora. What? We'll, We'll be seeing Dogora. Is that a different monster we haven't met? Yes. Okay. Uh, Return of Godzilla slash Godzilla 1985. And The Monster X Strikes Back slash Attack the G8 Summit. Is that Godzilla versus Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster? No. That movie has nothing to do with Godzilla. Oh, okay. It sounds like it does, though. It sounds like it's referencing Ghidra. Yeah, it does. But no. It's a movie I have not seen. And... I look forward to us watching. Some someday in the far flung future. <laughs> Maybe ten years from now. <laughs> so enter Chief Detective Okita, who says he's going to Selgina, which is another made up mm-hmm. European Asian country mixture. I was getting a little bit of Middle Eastern too. Who knows? They have the a... strangest style. We'll get into that. It's just a made up country. But they do call a tiny island nation with a domestic dispute going on, in quotes. Princess Mas Dolina Salno is going to be visiting Japan, and Detective Shindo has been assigned to be her bodyguard while she's in town. Good job on that name. (laughs) I should have written it out phonetically. I mean, that's pretty much how it is, so. So apparently she's fleeing Selgina because there's a plot to assassinate her. So that's why she needs a bodyguard. Of the Japanese people on top of our own bodyguards. Yeah, someone who knows the area. Did you recognize Chief Detective Okita? No, but I recognized somebody else later. Did you? Oh, yeah, you did. Chief Detective Okita is played by Akihiko Hirata, who eagle-eared listeners might recognize as being Detective Sarazawa from the first Godzilla movie. Detective Sarazawa. Dr. Sarazawa from the first Godzilla movie. (laughs) 
Andrew just put his hand over his eye to signify an eye patch because yeah. I gave him a very blank look. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda's still waking up. We. Well, I was picturing Dr. Yamane. Uh huh. Who I do recognize later in this movie. Yes. <laughs> so in my head, I was like, wait, this isn't Dr. Yamane. He comes in later. <laughs> it's not my fault. I need more coffee. I haven't had coffee today. You haven't had coffee today. See, you can't blame me for anything if I haven't had coffee. I'm being very cruel and making you record before your coffee. <laughs> um, we also saw him in Rodan, just as a reminder. And we will see him in, as my notes say, many, many, many more movies. He's like that actor who, like, Godzilla is the most important movie he's ever done and ever will do. So he spends his entire career trying to live up to that role he played and reminding everyone. He's like the person who you'll be in a random conversation with them and he'll just drop it in the conversation for no reason. Maybe. You know, when I was in Godzilla. <laughs> I I cannot confirm or deny how true that is. He, I, I don't know any kaiju movies that he's not any non-kaiju movie season, so I can't comment either way. It may be untrue. But you do know a person like that. Absolutely. <laughs> and then we see Selgina. Mmm. Yes. <laughs> Which, okay. Remember when I described the scene from Godzilla vs. Megalon? Mm-hmm. The whole disco Roman yeah. setting inside a twister board? Yeah think that. A little bit, yeah. It's got the same vibes, even though it doesn't look anything alike. So, the guy, we don't see him yet. He's in a wicker chair facing away from us. The assassin comes in, so he, the guy in the wicker chair says, she left, and then a man steps in. This is the assassin, who's been hired to kill the Princess of Selgina. He is wearing a long velvet tunic. And I can't tell if this is supposed to be, like, an Asian, like, kind of Chinese reference. Or if it's supposed to be... I think it's more supposed to be what you might see a knight wearing. Yeah, like a knight's tunic. And then with that, he's wearing a ruffled collar that's just kind of floating there. It's not attached to anything. Yeah, uh-huh. And matrix sunglasses. Yes. So just picture that when you're picturing anything that has to do with Selgina. Yeah, because they all wear that, except for the princess. Because she has to be attractive. and Wearing a big ruffle for no reason doesn't do that? <laughs> no, it doesn't do it for me, sorry. I am not attracted to frilled lizards. <laughs> you just haven't met the right one, I guess. <laughs> so the assassin says, yes, she did leave, and I planted the bomb. This lead assassin it has a name. His name is Malmes. You made it sound way cooler than it actually is. His name's Malmus. He is played by Hisaya Ito, who is another very common Toho tokusatsu film actor. He was in The Mysterians, Varen, The H-Man, Human Vapor, Atragon, Ghidrug, Frankenstein vs. Baragon, Ultra Q, War of the Gargantulas, Ebira, Ultraman, Ultra 7, and Destroy All Monsters. So a bunch of movies we haven't seen yet. Correct. Is it GMK or Destroy All Monsters? What do people refer to it as? Destroy All Monsters and GMK are not the same thing. Gosh darn it. Uh, we'll get there. I hate nicknames. <laughs> Destroy All Monsters is the name of the movie. It's not a nickname. 
I hate acronyms. Okay. They make my life so hard. All right. Can't just people call things what they are? We'll get there. I'm sure you'll have a whole episode of complaining about that when we get to GMK. Oh, no. But we don't hear this guy's name until, like, the end of the movie. Correct. But, so I just call him the assassin through the whole thing. Cut two. we see the princess of Sogina on a plane. What was her name? Princess Mas Dulina Salno. Oh, okay. She has an attendant with her who is in the exact same, like, the silk tunic thing, which I couldn't tell if it was Asian style or Victorian or yeah. pre-Victorian, and the awful ruffled collar. Uh-huh. She sends the attendant away and then looks out the plane window, and she, she sees a bright light, and it's speaking to her. It says, rise, rise. You must get out now. Flee, flee, flee. Good acting. And then she walks out of the plane. She just jump on out the plane. <laughs> jump on out the plane. Yep. She said, I don't want to be on this plane. Was that her voice? Was that the actress's voice? It, I believe so. Okay. It sounded like her, so I was really confused what was happening during that scene. It's a very confusing scene. We Even... do figure it out later, but... Yeah, it's still kind of confusing, but we'll get... We'll, we'll figure it out at the end of the movie. Princess Masadulina Salno is played by Akiko Wakabayashi. She is best known to American audiences for being a Bond girl. She, was she? Yes. She was Aki in You Only Live Twice, which is the pretty racist James Bond movie where he goes to Japan. I don't think I've seen any James Bond movies from beginning to end. You don't need to see this one. <laughs> he, They decide they need to disguise him as a Japanese person, and so they give him yellow colored skin and try to slant his eyes a bit it's very bad but she was also a just a very popular actress at toho she was in king kong versus godzilla dogra and gidra the three-headed monster and she kind of just became like a, a a bit of a sex symbol like she was just a very attractive woman who was in those kinds of roles so the thing I noticed most about the princess is I loved her makeup. <laughs> I was staring at her makeup the whole movie. Uh, tell tell me about it. Describe it. No, I I don't know. I just like the way she did her eyeliner. She had this like winged eyeliner that oh, I, cool. I thought she did a good job. Even when she was like looked homeless and everything. Yeah, that was you know. Yeah, that's a sign that she was not who she said. Well, also. Movies don't like letting yes. actresses not have makeup. True. So that's why you have the stereotype of the actresses waking up in the morning with a full face of makeup. True, true, true. And their hair is perfectly coiffed. So she just, just jump out of the plane. She just go, I'm out. And then she go. <laughs> and then the plane explodes. Yep. Immediately. Oh, I didn't say my great joke I was going to say. Hmm. I was going to say something about how Melmes set us up the bomb and then everyone on in the podcast world was going to laugh and say that I was really cool. <laughs> I don't even understand the joke. I know. It's okay. It's an old meme. It's an ancient meme. So the next scene we see is people from the Taito Technical Institute, uh, including a Dr. Mirai, arriving at Kurobe Dam. Which has disgusting water. Yeah, it's real gross looking. I don't know why. It's like green and covered in algae. Yeah. Don't go swimming in Kurobi Dam. Well, in 1964. I don't know what it's like now. 
I'd still steer away. Yeah, don't swim in any damn water. Don't people go swimming in the dam at Folsom? Don't go swimming in damn water. Damn water. Right, continue. <laughs> so the reason they're here is because a meteor came down over Mount Kurdake near Karuzawa, and they're here to investigate it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Their helicopters can't fly there because of the wind currents, I guess, so they have to come via the dam and hike in via a suspension bridge. Yeah, that's a thing. It's why you can't always send a helicopter in when people get lost hiking. You have to, like, have people hike in themselves. I get it. I just think it's an excuse for the director to make people walk. Absolutely it is. (laughs) Ishiro Honda, as we mentioned in the first movie, loves making his actors walk. Uphill is best. There wasn't a hill, but there was a suspension bridge. No, there were also hills. Oh, okay. There were both. And as they get closer, their compasses start not pointing north, which is the first sign of something's weird about this meteor. Right, right. But they find the meteor. It's this rounded, metallic-looking... Raisin? Testicle? (laughs) Thing? Uh-huh. It look it's definitely look like a something. And their their tools, their metallic tools are being pulled towards it and sticking to it. Mm-hmm. So something weird going on. Something strange is up in them. There are hills. <laughs> Dr. Murai is played by Hiroshi Koizumi. I know him. You do know him. We last saw him in Mothra. Yes, very good. He was basically one of the leads in Mothra. He was the linguist. The linguist. Yes. Could you hear her air quotes? Hiroshi Koizumi is in a ton of other movies. He seems like he gets a lot of the like pretty boy male leads. I don't know about pretty boy, but he's definitely like a... He's good at looking confident, right? He's good at being that kind of guy. So meanwhile, Naoko's working at the the newspaper and mm-hmm. a man comes running in with a scoop about the a new prophet did you hear about the new prophet now i think the key thing to understand is that she doesn't work at just a normal newspaper she works at like a magazine that's dedicated to talking about weird stuff like psychics and aliens and... it's like the japanese version of the inquirer yeah it, i of think the that, national inquirer i think that's exactly what it is so someone running in and going hey there's a prophet is actually very reasonable at this place. I don't know. If I was at any other newspaper, if there was a new prophet, I would also think that was a story. That's also fair. <laughs> but she thinks this will be a great story for mysteries of the 20th century. So she goes to cover it at um, Fino Park, which is where the prophet is profiting. Mm-hmm. Prophetizing. Prophesying. <laughs> I guess she's not profiting. She's pretty poor at this point. So they get there, and there's this woman in, like, a trench coat and a newspaper boy hat. Mm-hmm. And she's lecturing this crowd that's come to stare at her about humans' responsibilities within the expanding universe. And um, she's just getting heckled. People are asking her to strip. and That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> Someone calls her a me- megalomaniac. Don't understand that one. She's getting a lot of jeers. Naoko arrives on scene and asks where she's from. And she says she's from Venus. Mm-hmm. And we can tell it's the princess. Yes. It's pretty clear. I don't think we're supposed to tell at this point. No, but we can tell. <laughs> uh, she. So this is one of the changes that they made in the American version. 
in the American version, she's from Mars. Don't know why they felt like they had to change it. Mars, I think, makes more sense to Western audiences. That's what I was going to say. Having people from Mars is just a trope in sci-fi for Western audiences where a Venusian just sounds weird. It doesn't roll off the tongue for us. For that. Same as a Martian does. Yeah, exactly. And they do call her the Venusian a lot. It's true. So she's just lecturing about Earth's imminent destruction and something strange is going to happen at Mount Aso, which we should recognize. From what? From Godzilla, clearly. No, wrong. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> From Rodan. From Rodan. The whole movie of Rodan takes place there. Well. Mostly. It's definitely where the finale of Rodan takes place, most importantly. So we cut to Mount Aso, and there's a scientist there stating, Mount Aso is fine. It's not going to erupt. Sakurajima is more likely to erupt, and that prophet is absurd. Yeah. We have science. (laughs) We know things. So back at the Shindo household... Mm-hmm. Okay, so I love the Shindo siblings. They act like such brother and sister. I love it. They act like 13-year-old brother and sister, but yes. <laughs> I don't know. Do you really grow out of... I don't sit on my sibling. <laughs> That's because he's bigger than you. That's fair. He would be able to pick you up. That's fair. <laughs> So Detective Shindo is telling his mom that he has a hunch his sister Naoko has a boyfriend because he just watched her getting dropped off by a man outside. And so he accuses his sister of this, you know, jokingly, as brothers do. And she says, no, that's Mr. Mirai. He's associate professor at the university. So this is the Dr. Mirai that was studying the meteor. So I have a feeling that they... In the American version. Again, I don't remember exactly where the scene changes were. I have a feeling that they moved this before Dr. Mirai was in the mountains. That would make sense. Give him more of an introduction. So that he... Well, that and also he's not just constantly going back and forth between the town and the mountains. Like, he gets to spend a little more time in the mountains that way. Yeah, that part didn't really make sense, because they're clearly camped out there and studying it for long periods of time. I don't understand why he keeps showing up back in town when they have to hike out there. He's a teleporter. So they do some bantering, and she, like, crawls over him to grab something Mm -hmm. and, like, annoys him by doing so. It's just very cute. I really like their interplay. And then they turn on the TV, and there's a show on called Where Are They Now? And it's, um... This show where they bring in people to have them ask to meet a person. Mm-hmm. So they bring on this little five-year-old boy and he asks to meet Mothra. And they just laugh at him. Yeah. For one. Yeah. And then instead they bring out the tiny women from Mothra. The Shobijin. Yes. Played by Emmy and Yumi Ito. The Peanuts. I went into a very detailed description about the Peanuts in our Mothra episode. I ain't repeating it. <laughs> Go listen to that. We have a very large cast for this movie. We do. In many ways. Yes. Humans and monsters. Yes. That's uh, what I meant by in many ways. I was, I was, I gotcha. Okay. I picked up what you put down. This is the third movie, though, that the Peanuts play the Shogun. Mothra. Mothra versus Godzilla and Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. Correct. Perfect. Gold star. Yeah. So they bring out the women, and they're talking to them. 
the women are saying that, um, so at the end of Godzilla vs. Mothra, there was two larval Mothra who were fighting. Some might say we should have watched that movie before we watched this movie, since there's some continuity. Some and, people being Amanda. And I would say, I forgot there was so much continuity between the two movies. <laughs> Well, we watched Mothra, which is close enough. It's, it's basically the same thing. It's kind of the same. So they're telling audiences that one of the Mothra passed away, but the other is still a baby. And they start singing, and we see scenes of the islanders worshipping the larval Mothra. Again, still problematic. Yeah. Again, see our Mothra episode. And I actually really like their outfits now. I think their outfits have gotten an update, and they're not just kind of... The Shobijin, not the Islanders. Yes, sorry. Yes. Backtracking. Um, They don't look like Japan trying to stereotype Pacific Islanders. Yeah. Yeah. I like their outfits, but that led into this whole train of thought of, who makes their outfits? (laughs) Do people just sit around and make tiny Barbie outfits for them? Is that somebody's job on the island? Do they make their own clothes? What do they use for thread? Also, what do they make their outfits out of? I I truly don't know. I assume like the same thing you make any clothes out of on uh, an island. Like plant fibers. I just really want to see somebody with a tiny little loom making... Well, I mean, you can make it on a normal size. No, loom. I want to see it on a tiny loom. Okay. That's the point. That's fair. <laughs> Sorry, I went off on a tangent. I just needed people to understand my curiosity in these tiny people's clothes. It's our first and only tangent of this episode. <laughs> if people came to our podcast to listen to us get straight to the point, they are in the wrong place. So back in the living room, so remember this is all happening on the TV. Right. Detective Shindo sees an image of the prophet in the paper and recognizes the princess. Yeah, because he's been looking at her face in preparation for being a bodyguard. I must stare at this face. must memorize every bore. I also think he has a bit of a crush on her, because even from the beginning, he there was kind of a, a romantic setting. I don't know how to explain it. There was this, like... Oh, who is this beautiful woman when yeah. he saw her picture for the first time? There was a little bit of that, yeah. I wish I could do the Batman song when they change scenes. Uh, the Transformers one? Do, 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 do. Is that what they do between scenes? Yeah, they you get the Autobot symbol. If you were just in the Autobot like group, you get the Autobot symbol come up and it gets real close and then it turns around to the Decepticon symbol. And then you go to see what the Decepticons are up to. It goes, do, 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 do. All I'm saying is there's a lot of scene changes, and I feel like we need some type of music or melody or some type of, just something to carry us between scenes so I don't have to keep saying meanwhile. Well, maybe Andrew will add that in post. (laughs) He won't. He won't. (laughs) So, Wicker Guy, the princess's relative, whoever's next in line for the throne who's trying to get her killed... He's mad at the assassin because the princess is alive in Japan. He sees her in the newspaper. But the assassin thinks there's no way to prove it's her because there's no royal bracelet. She's well known for wearing this bracelet (laughs) 100% of her time. What happens if she loses it? She just loses her identity? It's such a weird way to identify someone. You're not the princess. Sorry, you're not wearing the bracelet. But it's me, guys. And then the thief becomes the, the princess because the thief <laughs> is wearing the bracelet. I mean, 
She doesn't look like the princess. She, in fact, looks like a man. <laughs> she has an Adam's apple, but she's got the bracelet. <laughs> she's got so. a full beard. <laughs> but Wigger Guy tells the assassin to finish the job or else. Meanwhile. Hmm. Do, 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 do. Quarantine while. Naoko's boss, editor-in-chief Kanamaki, wants to do a show on the prop and her pre- predictions, and Naoko proposes getting her on an exclusive contract but they don't really know where to find her she just kind of shows up does some profiteering (laughs) (laughs) and then disappears again Uh, profiteering is an interesting word choice i'm gonna use a different verb for every single time okay prophesying well i've already done profiting prophesizing we've done profitizing prophesizing and now profiteering so, Editor-in-Chief Kanemaki is played by Kenji Sahara, who I only bring up because he's just one of those guys who's in a ton of stuff. We saw him as the lead character in Rodan, and he also was Man in Boat in the first Godzilla movie. <laughs> man in Boat? Was he at the very beginning when Godzilla destroys the boat? I do not know. He was Man in Boat. I guess we gotta go rewatch it, huh? Mm-hmm. Figure out where a young Kenji Sahara is. Kenji Sahara, I also, like, he's one of those actors who's still around and is awesome, and I really like him. So Naoko and Detective Shindo, who I can't call by his first name because we never get his first name, but it gets very confusing when I just call him Shindo because Naoko is also Shindo. So he's going to be Detective Shindo, and you guys are all just going to have to live with it. (laughs) Spicy. (laughs) So Naoko and Detective Shindo are both trying to find the Princess Prophet Mm -hmm. separately and unaware of this fact. Yes. So they're both in Shibuya looking for her when they run into each other. Again, they don't know what either of them is doing there. And they're both being pretty evasive about it. They decide to go have some drinks. Sure. While Naoko waits for her person she's waiting for. And it turns out to be Dr. Mirai, who arrives to meet up with her. Mariah mentions during conversation that the meteor is giving off some strange force like gravity or magnetism, but different. And and then the news program on in the background shows that the prophet has arrived at Mount Aso and is warning people away. But we were so confident that it wasn't going to erupt. And then the most realistic scene in the movie, in my opinion, happens. It really does. So the Prophet Princess, Princess mm-hmm. Prophet, is at the scene of the volcano. She's saying the volcanic gas beneath the surface will awaken Rodan. So uh, one of the the onlookers, his hat gets blown into the volcano, into the crater of it. It's not active, so there's nothing coming out of it. But there is steam. Like there's You're steam. seeing cracks coming out and steam. Already very dangerous. Yes. Whether it's active or not. Yes. And another man just standing next to him offers to go get his hat. And we just watch this weird bargaining thing where they decide on a price for the man to go get his hat back for him. Mm-hmm. As the prophet's like, better not do that. I've been to enough national parks to know that people will, A, drop their hats and phones and cameras all the time constantly. And B, then basically just jump headfirst into a canyon to try and get it people are idiots 
a lot of money is spent every year getting people out of places they hiked to that they can't get back from. Yes. Because they're idiots. <laughs> so, of course, while the man is down there getting the hat, the rocks start shifting and then a Rodan hand puppet appears. Yeah, the Rodan hand puppet is a thing. And then people flee as Rodan wrecks ship. So, uh, Rodan's in this movie. We did give that away. We did. So, this Rodan is a different suit than in the first movie. It's got a slightly different head. The wings are a little different. So, in addition to the completely new suit that was made for the movie, there was a... There is a half-scale flying prop. So, you use that to film it flying, obviously. A hand puppet for his upper half, as we just mentioned. And a 60-centimeter pole-operated puppet for all the scenes in which he's fighting Godzilla later on. He's not a suit? So when God, when Rodan is, like, flying up and pecking at Godzilla, you have to imagine the camera zoomed out, and there's a man with a pole who's just whacking the guy in the Godzilla suit. <laughs> Andrew's acting this out. <laughs> and I wish everybody could see this. It's... It's a great image in my head. I don't know for sure that that's exactly how it went, but man, does it sound like it. <laughs> I just assumed it was a suit. There is a suit. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying but that if he's, none of them were suits. If he's in the air and attacking Godzilla, he's uh, Rodan on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> they had planned to make Rodan's wings collapsible as he lands, like uh, actual pterodactyls would be. Or like a bird's. And that just wasn't possible. The latex wasn't elastic enough for that to happen. So they had to abandon that and just have him kind of stand there with with his wings open all the time. That's a thing that they will continue to try to do in every Rodan appearance and not make happen. Basically until the American... Until CG. Yeah, exactly. Until CG fixes it. Godzilla came the monsters. That was why I was so excited to see Rodan in that movie because you can do things in CG that are really hard to do for flying creatures and not CG. Rodan was played by Koji Uruki, who was a very small bit actor at Toho, but is credited as playing Rodan in this movie and a Matango in Matango. That's the mushroom people movie that i mentioned i think every episode has someone who was in matango as much as i think we've gotten into the weeds with weird kaiju movies i really feel like we've barely scratched the surface absolutely we haven't touched anything (laughs) so yeah rodan is great i love him and he's here he's your favorite right outside of godzilla he's my favorite kaiju yeah other than godzilla you really should do a mini episode about rodan i had a lot going on the month that our rodan episode (laughs) came out so i did not put out the Kaiju Bungalow. So maybe I'll get back to that this month. So that's when the assassin arrives in Japan. Malmes. He's talking with his groupies. He's got like a bunch of guys that are following him around. They're like, oh, Malmes, you're so cool. <laughs> I do actually want to talk about one of the uh, mini assassins, one of his crew. The mini assassins. Yeah. He, it, the character's name is Assassin. So I don't know which one I'm talking about, but one of the assassins is played by Susumu Kurobe, and I only wanted to bring that up because Susumu Kurobe was the first Ultraman. He, oh. 
He was like the human form of the first Ultraman. Is this before or after that came out? This is before, but only by a few years. That makes more sense. I was going to say, he goes from Ultraman to this? To just being a random assassin? With no name? With no name. Yeah, no, he... I just wanted to point it out that he's here. Is he the shoulder guy? Uh, no, he's not. <laughs> One of the groupies does this thing when he's trying to be all cool, where he, like, wiggles his shoulders like a really bad stereotype of a New York guy. Yeah, he does He does the visual version of this sound. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the Foz, if the he, Foz was a, ga- was a gangster. Yeah, he's a little Fonz. Yeah, he's a little Fonzie. Is it the Fonz? I think it's the Fonz. That was a Foz. Foz? Fez? Nope, that's a wrong show. He's wearing a Fez. <laughs> I mean, he could be with the fashion sense. <laughs> <laughs> when they arrive, they're talking about how the pr- the prophet, Venusian princess, she's kind of used interchangeably, has been missing since she was seen on Mount Aso. Japan is evacuating the Japanese Alps. The meteor in Kasumizawa may explode so currently only the researchers are allowed there and it has turned reddish yeah i was about to say how do they know it's gonna explode and then oh yeah the thing starts glowing red the researchers are noticing that the meteor is getting bigger and brighter and the magnetism seems to have gone away yeah it's fluctuating Naoko and the other, and some other reporters are interviewing the Shobijin on a boat because they're about to take off for the island they're In, from. Infant Island. From infant Island. And they say they will come again if they're asked. Just real fast, I don't have my notes for Godzilla versus or Mothra versus Godzilla on me. It might not be Infant Island. That might be in a later movie. I just I just I wanted to put that out there. It might not be Infant Island. So they're interviewing them and they're saying, yeah, we'll come again if you ask us to. And somebody asks, can you use your telepathy to predict when Rodan will attack? And they're like, well, we can't use our telepathy for that. We're not psychic, but Rodan will return soon. But we are a little psychic. (laughs) And that's when the Venusian arrives on the ship and says they can't sail. They can't leave. The captain's like, get off my ship. (laughs) Get out of here. Yeah, exactly that tone of voice. And Noka, who's been looking for her, says, oh, um, don't worry about her. She's a friend. And she offers to take responsibility for her mm. and kind of take, ushers her away. Take her away. Quarantine while. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> Detective Shindo brings Cho- Chief Okita the bracelet. He says a fisherman had tried to sell it to an antique store. And the fisherman who's with him claims that who, the girl offered it to him in exchange for his clothes. And it was while he was at sea when, um, from a woman who was adrift, which all fits with the princess. She yep. jumped out of a plane over the ocean. Yep. And she is wearing clothes that don't fit her size or style. But then by the time he made it to shore, she had disappeared. And so they show him the picture. He confirms that, yes, that's the prophet, the same girl. And he's like, that's my clothes. <laughs> I'd know those clothes anywhere. And Detective Shindo says that the head of the UFO Society had said something weird. So we cut over to him for a moment saying, she must be alive because she fell through a gap in dimensions. And that the explosion caused a tear. Sure. And he's got behind him, I don't know if you noticed all the diagrams behind him. He's got like diagrams of how UFOs can move. <laughs> And zigzag. It's like up, zigzag, sideways, loop-de-loops. 
That's very... I don't... It's just weird. Didn't he also have something else interesting in his office? Yeah, he had a uh, spaceship hanging from the ceiling. Thank you, I had forgotten about that. <laughs> he has a spaceship hanging from the ceiling that is one of the alien crafts from Battle in Outer Space, which is a sci-fi movie from like two years earlier or something like that. I don't know the exact date. Was that one of the ones they used in the filming or was it like a replica? No, it was probably one of the exact ones. Cool. It's kind of like how Pixar takes their models from old movies and puts them in the new ones. If you have the thing lying around, you might as well put it in in a scene if you can. That's fair. So Naoko brings the princess to a hotel. It seems like everyone knows her and she has a usual room. So either she is a regular customer as a side business. Okay. I didn't know how to say that. Could be weird, weird implication. <laughs> Or they interview people regularly at this hotel. I think probably that's more likely. <laughs> so she's leading her up into the room when the assassins just happen to be coming out of another room in the same hallway. And the princess and the assassin make eye contact. And she just kind of stares at them dead in the eye. Doesn't really react. Yeah, he doesn't. she doesn't acknowledge them. So after Naoko and the princess go into the room, the assassin's like, oh, it can't be her. She looked right at me and didn't react. I guess all it takes is a little good acting. Or... I think actually how it goes down is they're all like, that looks exactly like her. And then Melmus is like, I can't be sure because she didn't react when she saw me. The ultimate disguise. A blank stare. <laughs> but once they get into the room, the tiny women turn, it turns out they either stowed away in Naoko's purse or they got here ahead of them, something like that. Cause she moves her purse away and they're there. Mm hmm. Or she opens her purse and they're there, something like that. I think they lift the purse and the shabby jean are behind the purse. Got it. Okay. And then they're like, what are you doing here? And they're like, well, we understood the warning, so we came with you. Yeah. We we recognize other psychics and know that they're, they've got stuff going on. And that's because Godzilla is... In the water, right about where the boat is right now, and he chases some whales in the direction of the ship, and then breathes his breath weapon onto the ship. I this was the first time I've ever seen this movie, and is able to recognize them as whales. I've always read that it was whales in like plot synopses of the movie. It was very dark. But yeah, every copy I've ever seen before this one was so dark that I could not tell that they were whales. It just was like vague wateriness they did look really good though yeah it's cool it's it might be the only time godzilla interacts with sea life that are not giant monsters in the showa series it did remind me a little bit of the whale from pinocchio sure monstro yeah should we put pinocchio on i was list? just thinking that <laughs> is monstro kaiju he kind of is we're getting really we're stretching a lot on some of the movies on our <laughs> list already though because we talked about doing either nausicaa of the valley of the wind uh-huh or maybe well that relates to another thing that i definitely want to talk about so that's why i want nausicaa on the list oh what was the other one we debated from um from miyazaki or studio ghibli oh i guess technically um Princess Mononoke. That's the other one. Well, Princess Mononoke has the Forest Spirit. I'm getting on a tangent again. I'm sorry. We might not keep any of this. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. So the magnetic force on the meteor is back. Mm. 
See, the effects of it are magnetic, but there's reasons that I'll talk about when we describe King Ghidorah, why it could be gravity control. The only items controlled by this gravity are, are metal. metal. Yeah, th- that's the thing. Yeah, it's weird. Venusian Princess Prophet. <laughs> I don't know what to call her at this point. She's wanting to go because she, you know, she has a sacred mission of warning the world about the oncoming tragedy. But Naoko convinces her to stay because she is trying to tell her, well, we can warn people from here because that's kind of what I do. Yeah. That's what a reporter does. So she leaves Princess Prophet Venusian lady. <laughs> in the hotel room and goes down because her brother's here and is asking for her. While Nao goes downstairs, Malness and his groupies break in and he has the one groupie who does the shoulder and the finger wiggling. (laughs) (laughs) He's kind of wiggling his fingers before he picks a lock. Yeah. And he goes up to the princess and she's just not reacting still. She's not really acting like she knows him and he shows her the steak knife he killed her her dad with i think it looks like a steak knife it does so look like a steak that. knife i think it's a, a switchblade though but it looks like a steak knife it's a switch steak knife yeah i want one of those that'd be cool <laughs> it'd be hard to clean it would yeah it would be a nightmare and he holds his knife to her neck and asks where her bracelet is she starts to vaguely remember a bracelet, which is the most she's remembered up to this point she's been very firm that she's not the princess she's a venusian she that's who she's always been. And this is kind of the first time we've seen her start to break face. She says she gave it away, but she can't remember where. Malus goes to stab her, but that's when the Shobijin turn off the lights. Mm-hmm. Downstairs, Detective Shindo convinces Naoko that the prophet is the princess. And so she invites him up. They walk in just as the lights go out and the Shobijin shout a warning to them. Yeah. So they like slam the door, run out, and are kind of taking cover because they start shooting at them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By they and them, I mean the assassin group starts shooting at the detective and Naoko. This is a very rare situation in Ishiro Honda films where the lead character has and uses a gun. Oh yeah, I never noticed that. Yeah, he doesn't like letting their main character his main characters use guns because he's very anti-war, very like peace oriented and his movies are about finding peace this movie is definitely about that we'll talk about that later but um yeah it's just interesting that because he used to fight he had fought in the um world war ii right exactly and i think maybe it's because this character is a cop and it doesn't make sense for him to not have a gun yeah and he doesn't ever use it to hurt anybody he i don't think he ever hits anyone with it except at the end i think he does but we'll we'll get there except at the end is what i mean yeah so Naoko pulls the fire alarm, and then they get back into the room, and the men are gone. But the princess is still there. They didn't take her with them nope. for some reason. She's kind of curled up by the fire reading a book. <laughs> I forgot about this book. And the book's about amnesia and delusional disorders, which she just has in the moments between when they were holding a knife to her throat and when the detective and Noko come back into the room after being shot at and the assassins have escaped and she's just chilling there with a book. So I, she pulled out of thin air. You can make some leaps of logic for why this book was in this hotel room. If it's Naoko's 
hotel room that often. Maybe she prepared it for an interview with the princess, alien, whatever. Uh, and so stocked it with some books about what might be going on. Although she didn't know she was the princess yet. Yeah, but anyone calling themselves a Venusian. Sure, might have amnesia or some mental thing going on. Yeah, okay, that's fair. But... But <laughs> the idea that she, like, the princess would walk over to the bookshelf and pull off a book in the middle of a firefight is uh, nonsense. Because she's been competent up to this point. Like, she's not acting irrational outside of sure. her this belief system she has so yeah. it doesn't make sense for her to suddenly decide to start reading while guns are going she's off. not a crazed lunatic <laughs> and now godzilla has come ashore from destroying the ship that the shobun should have been on and he's wrecking shit yep godzilla in this movie the suit is referred to as the mosugoji and that's mostly because it was used in the previous film, which is Mothra versus Godzilla. Mosu is the shortened version of Mosura, which is Mothra's Japanese name. That all tracks. We'll talk about this suit more in depth when we watch that movie, because this suit in that movie is one of my favorite suits of all time. But they made changes to it for this movie that I don't particularly like, including changing the head. Because the head is one of my favorite bits of that of that original suit. Why did they make those changes? It probably got damaged. Oh. I don't know where in time this happens, but they gave the suit to Ultra Q, which is the the first series that eventually turned into Ultraman. They gave this suit for Ultra Q, and they like stuck some uh, chest plates on it, a horn on the head, gave it different hands, and put some fangs in the mouth and called it Gomez. And it was exactly just Godzilla wearing just... Extra things. Yeah, Halloween costume. <laughs> um, and in that, he was also actually played by Hiro Nakajima, just like he is in all the rest of these, which, that's a cool thing. But I have a feeling that something in that process, they... Like like I said, they removed they changed the hands out for different ones. I think maybe then put in the horn on the head, maybe. If this was in between those two movies. I'm not confident about when the filming of that would have been in relation to the filming of this. Also, if anyone listened to our Valentine's Day episode, they'll know that the Mosogoji suit is one of the ones that was replicated for the Godzilla versus Wolfman fan movie i had forgotten that good <laughs> good brain on amanda look at that i'm the one who wrote that question so that's true you know that's true good job yeah amanda knows trivia stuff yeah and then rodan shows up yeah we mostly just see rodan like flying far away at this point i think yeah they're both kind of wrecking stuff near each other but not interacting very much at yeah. this point but i think godzilla i think it's implying godzilla is following rodan oh i was thinking going, it was the other way around because they're going in the same direction and either Ro way and rodan's a lot faster than godzilla fair so they decide decide to take the princess to dr sukamoto who's a psychiatrist that works out of mount fuji or in a facility near mount fuji sure he says that she's normal i guess as far as normal is concerned i don't know how you can tell that because a lot of what psychiatry is is talking to people and realizing that there's no way they could be from venus 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I think he means that she's not showing any, like, she's not showing signs of concussions or anything, I guess. anything like that. Normal's just a very poor choice of words, I think. Yeah, it's the 60s. You're not going to have great mental health stuff. I just meant you can't call somebody Normal. mentally healthy who thinks they're from Venus. It's fair. But he says he'll use a hypnotic drug to get her to say who she is because he thinks he can do it that way. So he still disagrees that she is who she says she is, but he still thinks she's normal. Yeah. Again, I I think he just means healthy. Fair. Meanwhile, the princess is, you know, continuing to prophesize and she says, King Ghidorah will turn Earth into a tomb, which I think is a very good line. It's a cool line. It's also the first time we hear the name King Ghidorah Mm -hmm, in this movie. mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She tells them that King Ghidorah is the space monster who wiped out life on Venus, which she is one of the only survivors. Sure. Did she say she's the only or one of the only? I think one of the only. And that they were much more advanced than Earth, and that King Ghidorah is already here. So, I have two things about that last scene. The first is, we see Dr. Tsukamoto, and he... Uh, and it's Dr. Yamane. It's Dr. Yamane, yep. Yeah. Takashi Shimura, we've been seeing him basically in every show of kaiju film we've watched. He's also the main character in Ikiru, and he's one of the main samurai in Seven Samurai. Uh-huh. We've been, like, on the side watching a lot of Akira Kurosawa mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. Uh, but he's been in a ton of the movies we watched in this podcast also. Usually in minor roles after the first Godzilla movie. I'm just saying, I have, like, this parallel knowledge of other Japanese movies of the time that are going along with my Godzilla education. hmm And he's in a lot of it. It's like when your chemistry and your biology classes suddenly start crossing over. You're like, oh my gosh, that makes sense. A very relatable. <laughs> I know what that's like, the art okay. major. So it's like... When your history classes and your art history classes start paralleling each other in the same timelines. Sure. Is that better? I guess. <laughs> it's not a thing I ever experienced, but that doesn't matter. The other thing I wanted to mention is King Ghidorah's name. His name is based on the Japanese word for hydra, Hidora. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Fits he's, in a lot of ways. He's a hydra. The king part might be from King Dragon, which is... The main villain from the Japanese version of a movie called Ilya Moromets, which is exciting only to the two of us. We play a a Pathfinder game, and one of the players has named his character Ilya Moromets. After that movie, I believe. Yeah. And he always says the name Ilya Moromets. Yep. So the king is probably from King Dragon because it's just probably a thing that was in people's minds at that time see i just assumed it was a dragon ball z thing but that timeline is all sorts of messed up very wrong yes (laughs) um but also the pronunciation and spelling of the names especially when brought to america is all over the place we've got spellings where he's ghidra uh ghidra that's the same thing ghidora still the same thing And whether you put an H at the end of the name is up to debate. And whether you put an H after the G in Ghidra is... So what I'm saying is there's a lot of different ways to pronounce and spell Ghidra. Don't worry about it. You're not going to get it right or wrong. So I have a question. Is the first time where he brings in the Hydra ability of regrowing a head, 
is that the first time that that's used is that in the legendary movie yeah yeah that's not a thing from before no he's just a high hydra because he's got a bunch of heads i mean that makes sense but i was just wondering if that was a reference to a older movie or if that was a new concept brought in it was a new concept for sure i mean i like it and i will talk more about Keitra later Do you think Kevin is dopey because he is regrowing his brain? (laughs) We will talk about Kevin when we get to the movie that Kevin is in. I love him. We will talk about him later. I love him, and I love Kamada-kun. We'll get to those. I want to start a Godzilla collection of all the dopey characters. You're going to have a lot of options. Trust me. Baragon? Uh Uh-huh. How many more does Amanda know? None. Oh, okay. That was where my list ended. <laughs> okay. I know Kamada-kun, Baragon, and Kevin. Those are the dopey Godzilla characters in my head. There's also Doug in Kong versus, or Godzilla versus Kong, which is the like big lizard in the Hollow Earth. Doesn't matter. <laughs> We're talking about Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. <laughs> so Godzilla and Rodent are heading towards Mount Fuji. For some reason. We don't really know why. They're just heading in that direction. I don't even know they really if they ever really talk about it. No. It they could don't. just be they're wandering in that direction. Could be that's just where they like to rough each other up. <laughs> the meteor has now started flashing and rocks are being drawn into the into the meteor. And then we find out it's an egg, because there's flashes and it cracks, and then we meet King Ghidorah for the first time. I don't know if it's an egg. I don't think he's being born. What would you call a thing, a capsule thing that somebody, that cracks and a creature comes out of? I just would say that Ghidra was in it. It's an egg. Okay, it's an egg. <laughs> um, I believe that some, like, I don't know if this is an official interpretation or not, but I have read and also interpreted myself that this is how he, like, travels through the impossibly long distances of space. Is he, like, puts himself inside of a meteor and shoots himself in the direction he needs to go. I mean, that makes sense, but I still like my interpretation. Sure. So everyone's evacuating. There's a press briefing going on. Um, They're talking about how they're currently monitoring Godzilla and Rodan. And international forces are working on how to destroy Ghidra. All of which means nothing, because all of that just means we're not doing anything. We're just talking about it. Yes. And they say... Um, in regards to a question that's asked of them, we can only do our best. Yeah. Which is the most useless information and so uninspiring. Yeah. Something came up during our recording and we had to stop for a week. <laughs> this is uh, the... Pretty much exactly a week after we recorded that first bit of the of the podcast. So, if we repeat something... Or if we sound a little different... Or if we just have a different energy... Sorry. That's what's up. <laughs> um, I believe we were talking about Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster... Oh, your memory is so good. Thank you. So they just had this conference, and they were talking about all the things they have planned to deal with Godzilla, Rodan, and Ghidra, Mm -hmm. which amounts to nothing. Pretty much. 
And so we then cut away to Godzilla and Rodan still fighting. Yes. I think it's really funny that Godzilla never uses his heat beam on Rodan the whole time that they're fighting. I like the scene a lot. I think there's a lot of personality that comes out in the fighting, specifically during the Rodan versus Godzilla scenes. Yes. You get a good sense of Rodan's personality. They both egg each other on a lot. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, like, cackling at each other and... Yeah. Yeah. They, they're both jerks. They're both jerks in different ways, I think. Like, Rodan likes to, like, pick on Godzilla and laugh at, like, his misfortune and stuff. Godzilla just gets mad and, like, throws things and... Godzilla's, like, a big pumped up testosterone bro. Mm -hmm. And Rodan's, like, a little Weasley slimy bro. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And they're definitely, like testing each other see how tough they are to a certain extent it's kind of like and i know harry potter is kind of a weird touchy subject right now for reasons we're not going to get into in this podcast but mm -hmm. it's kind of like serious black and Wormtail. yeah ah i knew a harry potter thing <laughs> it's kind of like serious black and Wormtail to me awesome so then we cut back over to the press conference, and all the, there's a lot of back and forth in this movie, which kind of makes it hard to talk about and sure. take notes on. Yeah. But back at the press conference. See, I didn't forget that we were doing that. <laughs> Naoko brings out the tiny woman, the Shobijin. Shobi yeah, Shobijin. The Shobijin, who she has with her in this like special case. Mm-hmm. Their special carrying case. It's like a Polly Pocket carry mm -hmm. box. Mm -hmm. It What it is, is it's a thing that makes it very, a lot easier for them to green screen them in. Because they have a built-in background that doesn't interact with anything behind it. And doesn't change. They could just keep using the same background. Doesn't change. They basically had a set that looks like the inside of a box. And filmed uh, the peanuts in there. And then shrank it down. <laughs> so they asked the Shobijin about... Well, can Mothra help us? And they aren't really sure if Mothra can defeat King Ghidorah on her own. In fact, they're pretty sure she would lose if she went up on her own. Right. But they do propose that she might be able to get Godzilla and Rodan to team up against King Ghidorah. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the crux of their plan. So they promise that they can um, ask Mothra to recruit them. Cool. That would be very helpful of them. <laughs> so they do their little song for Mothra. and She dances and wiggles out to sea. <laughs> As Ghidorah shows up and starts wrecking shit. And it looks like he has some sort of lightning breath. That would be my guess of what's happening. So, yes. <laughs> let's talk about Ghidorah for a bit. We didn't talk about him when he first showed up. So let's, let's have a little chat about King Ghidorah. Ghidorah's design. He is a three-headed, golden-scaled flying demon dragon thing right alien alien uh in this version he's got a lion's mane on each head which i like a lot a lot of later versions he just has like a crown of spikes or things like that he did remind me of like a chinese dragon he's a at lot least from like the neck up he's a lot like a combination of a western dragon and an eastern dragon yeah and a hydra and a hydra he was created by uh, Akira Watanabe, but the suit and the puppets and everything were made by Eiji Tsuburaya because he and his team made all the special effects for the movie. He, he was, the design was largely inspired by Yamato no Orochi. Which is? Uh, a dragon from Japanese mythology 
basically their version of a Hydra. Susanoo fought Orochi. Susanoo was like a hero person. Oh, was this reference in Okami, the yes. video game you play? Absolutely. Uh, most Japanese mythology, I would say, is refer- rep- represented in some way in Okami. Okay, but that was like the main villain. I was the main villain for the first bit, yeah. The first bit. That game's very long. It's basically a trilogy in one game. But, yes, so he's inspired by Yamato no Orochi, and he's inspired by the Hydra, obviously. Uh, when Akira Watanabe was designing King Ghidorah, he only had a description written by Shinichi Sekizawa in the uh, screenplay. And that description was, it has three heads, two tails, two tails, and a voice like a bell. And that was all he had to go on. I mean, it's like getting a good tattoo. You work with the artist to come up with something. You bring the idea and they bring the actual execution. Exactly. So I think that's why we have such a good monster in King Ghidorah is because... They left so much room for the artist to interpret that and make it fit into the world that they've built. Exactly. I totally agree. Eiji Tsuburaya originally wanted Ghidra to have a, like, a crimson color, but they landed on gold being more, like, visually impressive on the screen. And I think that they made the right choice. I wonder if part of that was the quality of film at the time, if gold shows up better on that type of screen. Maybe. we do... When you go to watch older movies, and I don't know if this was true at the time, they tend to have a darker little bit quality yeah. than what we're used to. So Some I wonder if the bright gold showed up better. Maybe. Some of the grain on the, the screen, maybe, yeah, would have darkened the crimson too much. And also I think that it's just like gold, there's nothing, there's nothing around Ghidra at any time that is the same color as him. Like, Godzilla's kind of a gray, so he's surrounded by gray buildings. Rodan's kind of a, a muddy... Muddy brown red. Brown, exactly. So I think the fact that Ghidra looks like nothing else around him... And especially in this movie, we never even see Mothra's full form. Exactly. So even she's pretty drab. Exactly. <laughs> especially in comparison. Uh, we have early pictures from production that show that he had, a, like, a... A rainbow pattern on his wings? I want to see that. Uh, I can find the picture. And I will post this on Twitter, obviously. It looks like America got a hold of the movie and decided (laughs) that Ghidra needed to be more American. Even though he's the villain, so maybe not. Have red, white, and blue wings. But then again, he is wrecking Japan, so if it's... I guess. But... So in that, there's red, blue, and maybe yellowy or white stripes like you saw. And I don't know if you noticed, but he also had blue necks. Yeah, he didn't look gold at all. Yeah. As far as I could find, there's not really a good explanation for this. They didn't build another suit. So one person that I found thinks that maybe it was a weird effect of the baby powder that they put on the suit to make the light affect it a certain way. Like, the baby powder maybe just was reflecting weirdly and made it look that those weird colors. But it's it could a, have been like a lighting and shadows thing. Yes, exactly. It could be like the, uh, is it a, a blue and white shirt or a black and, I don't remember, black and gold? Blue and black or gold and white, it's, I think were the two. Yeah, it could be like that where it's just the lighting messes it up. And it was a dress. Whatever. It's close. <laughs> you always give me a hard time about not remembering my memes. <laughs> and he 
I will talk more about like how the suit moves around once we actually see him in suit form. But one of the most important things that we have to remember about Ghidra is this is the first time that Godzilla ever fought something bigger than him. Ghidra is physically significantly larger than Godzilla. And I I think that that is such a cool choice. Did this come out before Godzilla versus Rodan? Not Rodan, I'm sorry. Did this come out before Godzilla versus Megalon? Because Megalon's taller than Godzilla. This came out uh, quite a bit before, yeah. Okay. Like maybe 10 years. The fact that we jump around sometimes gets the timeline all screwed up in my head. Yeah, that's fair. But I should have known because all the big people are working on this movie. So exactly. it came out not too late after the first movie. Yep. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is about Mothra. Little baby Mothra in this movie. Uh, they It's the same as in the previous movie. Godzilla versus Mothra versus Godzilla. Uh, but the eyes are a different color. The eyes in the previous movie are blue, but they're red in this movie. Don't know why they changed it. I wonder if that's something about it not actually being Mothra, but one of her offspring. Eh, Mothra's got like that reincarnation cycle thing. She is her offspring. And there were two props made. One was self-propelled. It just had wheels underneath and other internal mechanisms. And the other one was manually operated. But I couldn't figure out exactly what that means. Everything I found just said it was manually operated. So maybe like a puppet? I think maybe it was pulled on strings and like maybe it's like a marionette thing. Or a combination of those. Or a combination. But yeah, it's definitely not the situation we had in the movie Mothra. Where it was five guys crouched down and crawling around. (laughs) Exactly. Mothra is significantly smaller in like ratio to the things around her in this movie. So you couldn't have... Five guys, like you said. I bet they did that for efficiency issues. They've got a lot of moving parts in this movie. A lot of monsters, yeah. So at the facility in Mount Fuji, they're doing the hypnotism of the princess as people are evacuating because all the monsters are kind of converging on that point for one reason or another. It's, yeah. It's not really explained. I wonder if there's something about like they're drawn to there or Ghidra it might be at least because of the prophet. Maybe. But I think it's supposed to be just happenstance. I think it's supposed to be luck is how that works out. Because remember, Shinichi Sekizawa kind of defined the version of kaiju movies where you have human action that interacts with kaiju action. And that happens a lot in this movie, actually, and some stuff that's going to come up in a little bit. So I think that it's just it just happens to be all these things where the monsters are interacting with the human drama uh, just happened to work out that way. So they're doing the hypnotism, and um, while she's under, she's telling them about her escape to Earth on her planet's final day, which is, she says, approximately 5,000 years ago. A long time. Give or take. She's old. She looks good. <laughs> and that part of that journey is that she and her people lost all of their abilities other than foresight, and now they're going to try the shock treatment. Yeah. <sighs> It's of its time. It is. It is. So the assassins are approaching the facility. (laughs) I know what's coming up. That's what I'm laughing at. Sorry. So the assassins are approaching the facility, and so are, again, Godzilla and Rodan, while they're doing this shock treatment. The doctor tells Detective Shindo, turn it to 500, but no higher, because it'll kill her. So what I get from that (laughs) is there is a setting that will kill her. And they're going right up against that setting. Yes. And 
the controls for it are in a different room. So if something goes wrong, they're not right next to the controls for some reason. I know. Everything about this is just the most dangerous. It's like <laughs> asking for something to go wrong. Yeah. No, it it's very poorly planned out. And of course, this is exactly when the assassins break in mm-hmm. and set it to 3,000. Yeah. They happen to show up right when they're saying the way to kill her. Like, oh, I hope no one takes this poison and puts it in the princess's food. <laughs> that would be that way. But why didn't they kill her before? They had an opportunity when they were in the room with her in the hotel. They had to confirm it was her. Okay, but then the whole firefight started. And uh-huh. then at that point, they had already confirmed it was her because she had that memory of the bracelet. Why not just put a bullet in her head before they leave? Because they're bad at their job. I guess. This guy's failed how many times now? They're bad at their job. More Godzilla and Rodan fighting. Rodan picks up Godzilla by his spines and drops him on some electric <laughs> towers, which stood out to me. So I had to comment on that one. Yep. There's a lot of great... We're, we're kind of like quickly going over the fight scenes. But there's a lot of really good like physical comedy and also some good action in these you can definitely tell that the suits are lighter than the original ones because there's a lot of bouncing around yeah and movement and like grappling almost yeah it has to be and the suits will continue to get lighter as the showa series goes for that reason and the further we get into the movie the more you're cutting back and forth because you're seeing all these things are kind of culminating and happening happening simultaneously so a shootout begins at the facility as um, Naoko and Mirai are arriving with the Shobijin. Mirai is able to knock out one of the, the henchmen mm-hmm. with a giant wrench he finds, and they all escape into the car they arrived in. So something important about that scene is, this is kind of what I was talking about, where the kaiju stuff and the people stuff interact. Godzilla drops Rodan on the power lines, which then cuts the power protecting the princess from the shock treatments, and that's what causes the shootout. And Godzilla and Rodan are still egging each other on. At one point, Rodan bites Godzilla's tail. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot of goofiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not a serious fight by any stretch of the imagination. And then Mothra arrives. Yep, tiny little Mothra. So, so as the main human cast is escaping, they they see Mothra and they see Godzilla and Rodan, so they kind of pull over and they go to watch and see what's going on. Right. Because they're the ones who called them here, or at least Mothra anyway. So they're watching as little larval Mothra is trying to talk to Godzilla and Rodan, who obviously ha- are just totally not interested in what she has to say. And they ask the Shobijin to start translating so we can kind right. of get a, a subtext of what's going on. And she's all saying, guys, stop. Can't we just work together? And Godzilla and Rodan are just being so stubborn. They're like, well, why should we? They don't care about us. They always just shoot us. Yeah, humans are mean to us. So why would we help them? Yeah. The uh, One little thing I wanted to mention is in the American version, there is a line where the Shobijin are like, oh, such language, Godzilla. Which I think is very funny. It's like how R2-D2 in Star Wars is always cursing, but we can't tell. <laughs> I like the headcanon that Godzilla is just cursing. Exactly. It's like he's just <laughs> stepping on a bunch of Legos all the time. <laughs> yes, exactly. So one point I really liked in this whole argument scene is she sprays Godzilla and Rodan like sits there and cackles at it. And then she sprays Rodan and Godzilla laughs at him. Mm-hmm. It's just very 
Um, there's just so much personality in that little scene. It, there is a lot of personality in the scene. So Ghidra has arrived in town now. He's at Mount Fuji. And he, while Mothra's trying to convince Godzilla and Rodan to work together to defeat King Ghidorah, he is causing an avalanche which actually takes out the assassin's car and kills everyone but the assassin. Again, another interaction between the kaiju and the people plot lines. But Godzilla and Rodan, again, are just are not agreeing. They're saying that the humans always bully them, and they both want the other person to apologize. <laughs> They're big kids. But at the end, they just don't agree, so Mothra has to go fight on her own. Fine, I'll do it myself. And then they just immediately join in. Like, yeah. that's all it took. Uh, all it took was basically two grown men fighting and a 10-year-old comes over to say, stop and help with this, I don't know, robbery or whatever. It's kind of like in Yu Yu Hakusho when Koenma's dressing down Yusuke. Yes. A reference everyone will know. I make references like that all the time. I don't know what I'm saying. If if people don't know a reference, it's fine. They could just skip that five seconds of content and move on. Yes. So she does start fighting and they come right behind her. They work together actually really well. So I don't know. They obviously haven't met before because Rodan was buried in a rubble this whole time. Right. Maybe they met, you know, they're both ancient. Uh, I guess Rodan was born in Rodan. Yeah. Yeah, never mind. They just know each other. They've heard of each other. Spiritually. Yes. But there's there's moments where, like, Rodan is harrying King Ghidorah and then um, goes and body slams him and Godzilla is throwing rocks at Ghidorah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of where they work together without really getting in the way of each other. Yeah. So we are seeing a lot of Ghidorah, like, moving around and fighting in a suit situation. So I want to talk just a little bit about the suit. How do you think that King Ghidorah suit works mechanically? I would guess there's somebody who is walking as King Ghidorah and then there's puppeteers for each of the heads. That, that is, would be my guess. That is exactly right. Woo! <laughs> the, the, uh, I don't remember if I mentioned before our break, but Ghidra is played by Shoichi Hirose and Haruya Sakamoto. Shoichi Hirose was a relatively small-time actor at Toho. His two biggest credits are King Kong in King Kong vs. Godzilla and Ghidra in this film and the next one, Invasion of the Astro Monster. And Haruya Sakamoto was also a bit actor in Toho and his biggest credit is this. (laughs) Ghidra in, in this movie. I feel like we've run into that a lot where like the biggest movie they did was a Godzilla movie or mm-hmm. a kaiju movie. So our only reference is that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the movie we're talking about. Exactly. So the heads were each manipulated by piano wires, one for each head. So that's three wires right there. There was also a wire for each tail. There were wires for the wings. And if they had to jump, for instance... The whole suit would be lifted with piano wires. So you have tons of wires all over the place. And I think about this every time we have Ghidra in a movie. Especially in a movie where you also have Rodan being lifted by wires. Godzilla's tail is lifted by wires. And he still has to jump. And he has to jump. Mothra is being controlled by wires. Like, it is insane to me how they managed to do this. 
I cannot imagine being a suit actor in this suit where you can barely see being lifted into the air by wires and hoping they don't drop you in this death box. Yes, exactly. Uh, To manipulate the wires, crew members had to climb onto the scaffolding in the ceiling and do the puppeteering from inside, from on top of the scaffolding, essentially. So what you're saying is people physically lifted them. Yes. There was no crane. Mm -hmm. That's terrifying. That's even worse. Yes. Uh, And again, I don't remember if I mentioned this last time, but... He the gold scales on the suit were hand applied by a team of uh, suit makers, which also insanely impressive to me. Each scale being applied by hand. Who knows how many scales that is? Deidre looked really good. And I've seen the legendary one where they can just CG it to look like whatever they want it to look like. Yeah. Deidre looked really good. Deidre is a very popular monster for a lot of reasons like he's very like mean and destructive and so his personality is very popular but i think a big part of it he's just he's got such a presence on the screen he's bright gold he's huge he moves around very alien like because all the heads are moving kind of wildly around he's a cool monster and And they definitely did that part on purpose yes (laughs) they might have i don't know so detective shindo and the princess prophet Venusian, yes, as they like to call her a lot in the movie, they had gotten separated from the rest of the group when they got out of the car, when they got stuck in the traffic, they kind of got pushed in a different direction. So they are running and they end up in this kind of cliff area when the assassin spots them and starts shooting at, at mainly the prophet. Malmes. Malmes. He shoots her and grazes her, like, temple. Mm-hmm. Which starts this big shootout between Detective Shindo and the assassin. And I know that, especially for a Shiro Honda movie, this is a big deal. Yeah. A shootout in general is just a, a very big deal. Yeah, we we mentioned earlier, I believe, that it's weird to have a hero in a Shiro Honda film with a, a gun. Well, not only that, but the whole... The idea that he actually uses it, it doesn't get tossed aside or something during the course of the battle. And he uses it a lot in this yeah. movie. Yes. So the Princess Prophet Venusian, <laughs> <laughs> she faints because she got grazed like on her head. Yeah. So of course she's going to faint and falls down the cliff. Shindo climbs down to her and is kind of shielding her. She wakes up and remembers and she says, Malness, you traitor. And I think this is the first time we hear his name. It might be the only time we hear his name. I think you're right. And she doesn't remember Detective Shindo. But she's being shot at. He's guarding her. So she, she just goes it. with him. Yeah, she gets it. <laughs> Malnus manages to shoot the gun out of Detective Shindo, Shindo's hand. Which I kind of expected to happen a lot earlier. So that the main character <laughs> wouldn't have a gun to shoot with. Yeah. And he uses his body to shield the princess. I guess uh, this is the point where I'd start referencing her as a princess again. Yeah. He uses his body to shield the princess and get, takes a shot himself. And then an avalanche just ends up coming and killing the assassin. Caused by the kaiju fight. Yes. So again, the the humans and the monsters are not separate from each other in the plot. They are indelibly linked. It just seems a little anticlimactic. A little... Uh, like, they can't solve any of their own problems. The electricity was saved by the kaiju. They had to call in Mothra to help. They <laughs> they can't even take out their own human assassin on their own. It's a little deus ex machina. Yeah. Just a little bit. Uh, I think that as he goes, he gets a lot like better at weaving those things in. 
Shinichi Sekizawa, that is. I think that he gets a lot better at weaving that sort of thing in. But this is, I think, maybe the easiest place to see the connection between the two that he likes to make sure is in the movies that he writes. I mean, that's fair. It, it's just, it's a hard balance to hit. Definitely. And then the others arrive and are able to get them out of the the canyon. Mm-hmm. So back at the fight... Da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Godzilla is grappling King Ghidorah. Mothra, still in larval form again, is biting at King Ghidorah's one of his tails. And Rodan is, like, harrying him. So they're working together really well. Mothra biting a tail is, like, Mothra's favorite technique as a larva. Number one thing that she likes doing is biting a tail. I wonder if that's where Slowbro gets it from. Oh, uh, maybe. That would be cool. <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a Mothra reference. It's a weird Mothra reference. Yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome. Michelle kind of looks like Mothra. A little bit. <laughs> that'd be weird. I like it. And then in another shot, Godzilla is distracting King Ghidorah, where Rodan picks up Mothra on his back mm-hmm. and like flies her into the air while she sprays strings at King Ghidorah. Yeah, it's it's very good. It's... uh. He, he becomes an armed jet. I'm going to declare the best monster fight scene of the movie. Yes, definitely. That, that moment is the best moment of the monster fight. Definitely. And I mean, that's why you watch the movie is for this sort of thing. And it's not just monsters wailing on each other. It's them doing things that only the, those specific monsters can, which is cool. And I think, honestly... Honestly, this, the fight is my favorite part of this movie. There's a lot of good moments in this movie. I think the acting is pretty well done. But the just the characters in the fight scene and how all their personalities come through. Yeah. And just all the moments with the monsters just stand out yeah. a lot. Definitely. Me. Definitely. And then during this fight, the people are just watching as this avalanche comes and destroys their village. Yeah. Which doesn't really get the moment I think that would deserve. No, it doesn't. It does. They don't really deal with that in the movie. <laughs> it's just kind of left there out on the floor and not really picked up again. But at the end, Ghidra just flies away covered in webs from Mothra. Mm-hmm. They successfully chase him away. They don't really talk about where he goes or does he just get like pushed over to another country we find out in a later movie oh do we yes what's the direct sequel to this invasion of the astro monster that makes sense comes out i believe the next year and it is explained in that film okay fair i was just thinking like it's a not our problem thing he just gets pushed over to (laughs) like china he's he's just yeah now he's attacking infant island oh no (laughs) no he's not doing that of all the places to go i think infant island would be the least <laughs> hospitable he knows mothra is what defeated him so he had to go take out revenge i guess i would just be like okay you stay here you can have your little island here i'm gonna go take over china <laughs> we cool <laughs> and then so they, they're wrapping things up with a press conference they're interviewing naoko and the princess the princess is in disbelief uh, Dr. Sukumoto comes in and says, but you were perfectly sane the whole time. What a weird guy. I don't understand him. This <laughs> person like so obsessed with that she was healthy and sane. He, I'm this perfectly sane person. I'm now going to submit to shock therapy. <laughs> perfect. Don't worry. You may think you're an entirely different person from another planet, but you're perfectly sane. You're very sane. 
Let me almost kill you with electricity. But he does think it's the bullet impacting her head that brought her back, which, you know, makes sense. Sure. Jolt. And then Detective Shindo and the princess have a little moment. It's very sweet. I kind of expected them to have, like, a bit more romance in it, but it was very sweet. There's barely any romance in the movie. It's definitely implied that he has a thing for her, but... Oh, yeah, for sure. The second he saw her picture, he was like, ooh, who's this? Yeah. She does say that she doesn't remember anything, but she does remember the hotel and the lab where he saved her, but nothing else. Right. And then we get the the send-off of the princess. She's going home to deal with her insurrection problem. Yeah, I don't know what she's going to do about that. <laughs> she doesn't even have attendants anymore. They all died in the plane crash. Yeah, I don't get it. Nobody's going with her. And then Godzilla and Rodan are watching as Mothra swims off with the Shobijin. I think in the American version, they cut out that whole end part with all the people in it. And I believe that that movie just ends with Ghidra flying off. And then maybe Godzilla and Rodan watch Mothra. But I think the American version cuts out that weird kind of wrapping up all the people's plot lines. I think that was kind of necessary, honestly. I agree. I think the Japanese ending is much better. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly. It's been a while since I've seen the American cut. But I'm pretty sure that that is the case. I don't know. I think it kind of needed it. If the last scene we got was of her being pulled out of a canyon. Yeah. You just need some type of peacetime mm-hmm. scene. Or or better yet, the last shot we have of people, if the last scene they have is Gita flying away, the last shot of people is a, a village being destroyed by an avalanche. That's true. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, they might have rearranged it or something. Yeah, but... they probably did. I, uh, I might be misremembering also. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, exactly. So that's Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. What do you what do you think of it? Again, I think of the movies we've seen so far, and I did really, I keep referencing it because it stood out to me so much, I did really like Godzilla vs. Megalon. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a weird choice for it to be one of my top picks, but I think one thing they both have in common is the fight scenes are just really good. Yeah, definitely. This is one of those that you show it to a kid and it makes them excited about Godzilla movies. Like, it's got a lot of action. It's got fun personalities. It's got fun fight scenes between the monsters. It has a princess. Exactly. And a white knight. Yep. It's, it, it is perfectly designed, I think, to spark the imagination. And I would say... That Naoko had just as much of an important role as her brother, Detective Shindo, did. She was just as much there for the whole thing. She was competent. I always love a good female lead, Mm -hmm. a competent female lead. So in that sense, I think it really did hold up. I definitely agree. But yeah, I'm finding that one thing I really like that a lot of the, the Godzilla movies that I like have in common is a really good fight scene, really good personality. Yep. And there's there's... That's something that there is abundance of in these movies. That's actually a big part of why I like them. You get to see the monsters' personalities very strongly. Who wrote Godzilla vs. Megalon? Was that also Shinichi Sekizawa? It was also Shinichi Sekizawa, yes. Man, I've got like a favorite writer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a big fan of Shinichi Sekizawa also. We mentioned him in that movie and I said, we're not going to talk about him in this movie. We're going to wait till later, but yes. I think that my view is probably at least partially colored by your perspective because you're the one who's like my tour guide through the kaiju universe. Sure. There's no way to avoid my biases. <laughs> well, I got a lot of other, I've got a lot of your other biases too. It's fair. But yeah, I, I really like this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. 
despite the fact that we kept having to break up this whole week. I know. It, the the whole recording for this has been a, a huge mess, but I think that the movie is great and that people should watch it. Who would you recommend this movie for? I think this is actually a really good one to start Kaiju Newbies on. I 100% agree. If you want to, and you did touch on this before, so it's not a completely original idea, but if you want to show somebody what it's all about, Mm -hmm. I think this is a good movie. Because Godzilla 1954 and Shin Godzilla, those are really, really good movies. Those are like award-winning, emotional dramatic movies but there's not a ton of those (laughs) let's be honest they're not indicative of the genre exactly those are very good movies but this is kind of representative in the best way of what you can expect when you go into your average kaiju movie 100 percent agree yes (laughs) this is kind of like the final where you're asking the students to put together like, okay, this is what you learned. Now draw a conclusion. <laughs> I'm like coming up with my own ideas on it on yeah, the subject. And you're doing great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Teach. <laughs> so who would you cast as King Ghidorah? Oh yes. The age old question. I have an answer. Do you? I haven't thought about this, so go ahead. Doug Jones. The guy who played Shape of Water and Vivian. Oh. <laughs> The guy who played the smiling man yeah. in Buffy. Mm-hmm. Just the best creepy monster actor yeah. out there. Yeah, definitely. He would. I agree. He would be a good choice. I was thinking maybe, like, I don't know if you know Michael Shannon that well, but Michael Shannon is very good at just being, like, a mean-spirited characters. Just, like... Characters that know they're in the right and you are in the wrong. So it might be a good Michael Shannon. Did you think of him because I brought up Shape of Water? Because he was the <laughs> actor named right after Doug Jones in Shape of Water. No, but, but he was the villain in that movie and he was very villainous in that movie. He was. I was literally looking at the, the cast of Shape of Water because I couldn't remember Doug Jones' name. And right next to him was Michael Shannon. I was like, you know what? He'd probably a good, be a good King Ghidorah too, but I didn't voice it. Yeah. No, I uh, I did not plan that. <laughs> uh, that I, I thought of Michael Shannon before he said it. But yes, Michael Shannon or um, Mads Mikkelsen. Mad about Mads. That's right. I could see it. I, yeah. So Mads Mikkelsen, I think, would also make a really good option. Maybe all three of them together. Oh, my gosh. Can we just have that happen? Or, oh, my gosh, um, Green Goblin. Yeah, he would also be a good. What's his name? What's his name? Just basically the most creepy character actor you can think of. Willem Dafoe. Because you want somebody who's just a little out there. You want a little weird. Because he's not supposed to be from Earth. He's supposed to be a little weird. Yeah. So I think that King Ghidorah in our live action thing should be a a group of bad guys. And they are played by Willem Dafoe, Michael Shannon, and Mads Mikkelsen. You're just leaving out my one pick? Well, it's just like, they're all fantastic at... And also, you came up with Willem Dafoe. Okay, but you're just cutting Doug Jones? Okay, I see how it is. I just think that those three are very good character actors and are very good, like, villainous ones. I'm sorry, Doug Jones. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) Not that he'll ever listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) So if you have a better actor who you think should play King Ghidorah... Or if you just want to tell us that, nope, you're, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's not 
any of those people. Or if you just want to get a hold of us for any other reason, you can tweet at us at Island Kaiju. Or you can email us at kaijuislandpodcast at gmail.com. Our intro and outro are Manga Maniac by Olive Music. Thank you for listening. Let's all fight bravely as a team. Punch, punch, punch! <laughs>